So today we're going to be in John chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, The title of today's message is Power Source, or What Power Source Are You Connected To? In my mid-twenties, I graduated from paramedic school and I started working full-time as a paramedic. And as with anyone who starts out in a fire or EMS or anything else like that, you start at the bottom. You have no seniority, no rank. You go where they tell you. And at the company I was working for, I was working for a private ambulance service versus a fire department at the time. And the company I worked for, the lowest um, position there meant you started working at Station 1. Station 1 did absolutely no 911, no rescue. All they did was inter-facility transfers, taking a person from a big hospital or a little hospital to a big hospital, or taking people who are bed-bound back to nursing homes or people at nursing home to doctor's appointments that couldn't go any other way. And when you sit there in a school for over a year and you give your life to this school and spend so much time studying, so much time in, in the hospital and so much time on the ambulance learning the trade, all you can think about is, man, I get to do all this cool stuff. I get to be this lifesaver. I get to make such a difference in in people's lives. And after six months of doing nothing but just moving, shuffling people around to a guy in his mid-20s, it's kind of just was really draining after a while. You weren't getting to do the quote-unquote cool stuff. And I was getting kind of fed up with this. And I started to wonder, you know, did I just like lose a year of my life going through this school to do nothing but transfer people from one place to another? And my partner at the time, who was a senior paramedic, he started to notice a little bit of a deterioration in my attitude. And I was complaining. I wasn't really excited about showing up to work. I really wasn't being particularly nice to people. And he understood what was going on. He had gone through the same thing. He said, you need to get a couple shifts out at Station 3. Station 3 was the cool station. Station 3 did all the 911. They covered all, most of Walworth County, Western Racine County, Western Kenosha County. They did most of the rescue out there, paramedic intercepts, all that kind of cool stuff. The problem with is I had no seniority to pull a single shift out there. So there's no way I was going to get out to do the, res- to do the rescue kind of stuff until people quit or died. Is pretty much the only way you can get into Station 3. Well, my partner worked it out, and he did a trade with one of the more junior guys out at Station 3. And because I was still considered too new to work without a senior partner, they had to move me to Station 3 so I had a senior partner to work with. And during those two shifts, I got to do all kinds of neat stuff. I delivered my first baby on a, on a farmhouse fl- kitchen floor in the middle of nowhere. It was awesome. I remember after that was done, I was just like, I wanted to take a victory lap around the hospital carrying the baby. I did it, you know, kind of a thing. I had a level one trauma where I got to put a person in a helicopter to get them to flown up the freighter in Milwaukee. I got two cardiac arrests, um, one of them that I actually saved their life. They actually walked out of the hospital mentally normal and and not disabled at all. And I remember toward the end of that second shift, I was sitting on the bumper of the ambulance outside of Lakeland Medical Center in Elkhorn, writing my report, and I'm watching the sunset, and I'm just rejoicing that God allowed me to follow my dream of being a lifesaver. And I was re-energized. I was just on top of the world, and I loved that job again. And I had reconnected with my reason for becoming a paramedic in the first place. And that energy helped carry me through those long shifts at Station 1 until I earned the right to have a permanent Station 3 assignment. 
And I learned a very valuable life lesson during that time. There's something powerful about connecting with the reason that you exist. You're calling in life. There's something very positive about connecting with that. And for a long time in my life, I thought it was to be a paramedic. I thought it was to excel at that kind of job. I thought it was a reason that, that God had made me, what, how he had shaped me and, and sent me through many of my hard times, the way he had molded me and given me military experience and all these kind of things to remain calm in emergency situations. And I saw that being a paramedic was my life mission until I got called into the ministry. And I realized that paramedic was only yet another stepping stone that God was building on to get me ready to go and be a pastor someday. And now, I get just as much of a rush seeing people get saved or seeing people grow in the Lord and seeing people get their hearts right with Jesus. And that's part of what feeds my spirit and enables me to keep my proper perspective now in being in bivocational ministry where I work multiple jobs in addition to being a pastor. Last week in John chapter 4, we read about the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. We saw how Jesus ignores all the religious rules of his time to seek and save one woman who had been used, she's been abused, she's been neglected, she's been cast by the wayside um, by the men in her life, and she's a social outcast even from her own people. She talks with Jesus, she accepts the truth, and is moved from death into eternal life as she believes the message that Jesus is speaking to her. Jesus is just leaning back against the wall, and he's just basking in her salvation when his disciples return from finding some food. And I have that picture in my head that Jesus is like me, sitting on the bumper of the ambulance, rejoicing in what God has called him to do. And that's how his disciples find him in John chapter 4, starting in verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could, could, he, could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Jesus. And not only the life that he lived now, but the life that he lives inside of us. The life that he offers those who don't know him yet. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you just use your words this morning to bring us into a deeper relationship, understanding and appreciation of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to explore a premise today, being Resurrection Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we talk about a lot of the benefits of what Jesus did for us in enduring what he had to go through on the cross. How he paid for our sin through his suffering and death, and how it affects our eternal destiny. 
And all these things are completely true, and they're worthy of our attention. They're worthy of our study. They're worthy of us giving our whole life to know and to understand and, and give us a reason to follow and worship Jesus with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and with all of our strength. But there's another facet of what Jesus did on the cross that I want to look at this Easter morning. And that is that Jesus changes our power source. In essence, he changes our appetite for the things in life and gives us a new appetite and a new hunger. And I'm not talking just about food. It's not like you couldn't stand Brussels sprouts before you got saved and now you loved them and somehow that's an evidence of salvation. If that's an evidence of salvation, I'm in trouble. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Don't like cauliflower. So we're not talking about the physical appetites. I'm talking about what the source of your strength is or what the source of your joy is or what the source, where do you get your purpose from? Because if you're a Christian, one of the proofs that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that Jesus Christ is your God, that Jesus Christ is your King, is that all of these should only come from one place, and that is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's explore that today. Jesus had some interesting things to say about this in the scripture that we just read. He said that my food is to do the will of God. And obviously, Jesus is speaking spiritually here, but the thought can be expanded to everything in our lives. Anyone who knows me know that I like the outdoors. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to go out and shoot guns. It's kind of a joke at work that I have a couple friends that have similar uh, tastes in, in shooting firearms and target shooting and all that. We call it lead therapy. When, when work is really getting us down, we have to go out to the range and get some lead therapy, which is shooting some lead down range and punching some holes in paper. And it's something we do to relieve stress, to kind of feel alive again and, and just have that time out, just outdoors and doing something fun, or at least that we find fun. And all of us have that one thing in our life, or one or two things in our lives, that help us to cope with the stress of life. Some people like computer games. Some people like hanging out with Cole's friends. Some people it might be food. Obviously one of mine is food. So and we all have these kind of things that we go to. Some people even rely on substances or need medications to help get them through the day and to, to deal with the stress of life. And the reason that we so often turn to the physical is that we forget that we're not just a physical being. We're actually primarily a spiritual being having a, an experience in an earthly body. So the stress that we feel in our and our mind and body is a reaction of dealing with something outside of our control within our spirit. And that stress causes worry. Worry, spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, really is lack of faith. The only remedy for it is faith-believing prayer. And if you let that worry go unchecked, it causes anxiety. And anxiety causes us to seek something outside of ourselves in order to deal with all those uncomfortable emotions and, and fear and, and your heart feeling like it's beating a thousand times a minute. It always has us to go outside of ourselves to deal with it. And most of our time is spent looking and experiencing life through these earthly senses that we have. So we turn to earthly things to help us to deal with the effects of that stress, worry, and anxiety. Let me illustrate. 
Most things in your house are powered by 120 volts of electricity, right? We plug it in, plug in our lamp, and it works, has a specific plug, and it matches a specific outlet so you don't plug in your reading lamp to another power source that exists within most homes, which is the 220. You plug an electric or a, a lamp into a 220 power source, what's going to happen if you can make it work? Pow! Light bulb's going to explode, right? The 220 is meant to power your electric stove, your dryers, window air conditioners, something that acquires a higher amount of electricity to work correctly. When you get saved, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you're taking that 120 plug and switching the plug. The plug changes. That's why it's called being born again, because you are born again and raised to life, and that power plug supernaturally changes from a just that little two-pronged plug to that three-pronged high-energy thing that's really going to empower you now. You can't experience your resurrection power of Jesus if you're still trying to use a 120 plug to plug into 220 power. The plugs just don't match the outlet, so you can't receive that power that Jesus has promised you. And I'm going to say something that, that might be a little provocative, but in my 25 years of being a Christian, I found this true in my own life and in the lives of people I've come in contact with. If you are saying that you are saved and that you have surrendered your will, your heart, and your life to Jesus Christ and made him Lord and Savior, and you're still always struggling with excessive stress, worry, or fear, I ask you this. Are you actually a Christian? Have you truly surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? And when I say surrender, I'm talking about giving him everything. Everything in your life. Maybe you've become a Christian at some point. Now you've, you've fallen back into old habits and you're struggling with those same things over and over again. If that's you, maybe you just need to get on your knees and surrender again. The ladies in our last church, they had what was called the push prayer group. And the push stood for pray until something happens. And that was their remedy for everything. If you were dealing with stress or fear or anxiety or worry, they would say you need to get on your knees and push that thing through until God moves in your life. And most of these issues exist within our lives is because we're not, there's somewhere in our lives that we're not doing the will of God. And there's a reason why God doesn't bless that. God will not give his divine power. He won't give his divine strength. He won't give his prosperity. And he won't give his regeneration and new life to a person who is choosing to exist outside of his plan. God is a good father. He's a good father. And he's not going to empower you to dive further into something that is going to destroy you. So if you're not feeling that resurrection power in your life today, I would ask you what part of your life is existing outside of the will of God that you would need to surrender. That's why it's essential to ask ourselves constantly, and it's a constant question even in my own life, am I existing within God's perfect will and his perfect plan for my life. Is what I'm desiring, is what I'm chasing after in life, line up with the plainly revealed character of God as found in his word? As you think about that, if you can't answer with a firm yes, 
then you need to seek Him and ask Him what His will and His plan is for your life. There's always room for a second chance. There's always room to get back on the right path. It doesn't matter how much you've goofed it up in the past. Trust me, if goofing up was a disqualifier, I'm disqualified. But I know that the love of Jesus Christ holds me to a path. And He wants to do the same for you. The reason we keep asking ourselves this is because our source of spiritual vitality and strength are the result of doing God's will. Jesus said that He is fed through doing what God would have Him to do. And last week we studied the woman at the well. And Jesus has a conversation with her about water, about having to get water out of this well every day. And Jesus told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. At the beginning of the message, I described a time of feeling frustrated about not being able to fulfill what I believe my mission in life was, which was to save lives. And because of this, everything that happened during that shift at that transfer station bugged the heck out of me. The nurses in the nursing home bugged me. The nurses at the hospital bugged me. My partner bugged me. The patients bugged me. Everything was bugging the heck out of me. I was grumpy. I had a bad attitude, and I probably wasn't that nice to work with for a while. And that period of my life showed me something about myself. As a KGB version of the Bible would say, my attitude stinketh. And my attitude stinketh because my focus was on the wrong things. It wasn't on God. It wasn't on Jesus. I wanted the exciting stuff. And it wasn't that I wanted the exciting stuff because I wanted to help others. It was because I wanted that thrill of dealing with life and death. I was what they call an adrenaline junkie. And I know most people, when they hear about that kind of thing with a paramedic, they think, man, I could never do that job. But when, you have a, when, you, when it's something that God has put in you and you do this job, when you have that critically sick or injured patient in front of you and, and you're making every decision in those split seconds that would determine if that person lives or dies, it's a rush. It's, it's a huge rush. And when I didn't get my rush, I got grumpy. And it was because my focus was outside of God's will for my life, which was to help and to serve other people. So the wages of that fleshly and unfulfilled need was my bad attitude. And what it showed me and what it shows all of us is this, is that there are certain spiritual laws in the Bible, and one of them is the law of sowing and reaping. And that is absolute. If you sow to the wrong thing, you will reap the wrong thing. Every single time. God does not allow that sowing and reaping law to change. If you sow to fleshly desires, you will reap fleshly desires. Or in the vernacular of today, if you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Right? So that's a spiritual law that you see in the Bible, and we can't fool God. We can't con God. We can't somehow wrestle Him into doing what we want. We can't put 50% spiritual into something and expect 100% blessing from God. And Jesus uses an example that I'll paraphrase just a little. 
Giving, for example, is a spiritual exercise. Whether we give here at church, whether we give out in the community to a, to a charity, whether we give our time, whether we give our money. You know, I've, I've known people that give away cars and campers to people in need and, and sell them and give all that money to the poor. If you do this and you give generously to somebody or something, and then you make sure you get a video of it and you put it on your Facebook to say, hey, look how awesome I am and how much I've given... Now, is that benefiting God, or is that benefiting you? That's benefiting you. You're sowing to your fleshly desire. If you're sowing to your own need to feel good about yourself, you should not be surprised when you ultimately reap a dissatisfaction about what you have done, or about your life in general. I know that in my life and in the life of people I see, Every single time we try to assume the throne in our own life, we reap the consequences of our stubbornness and our stupidity. And that's why we're studying today, studying, or spending time today studying Jesus' word. Jesus said his source of strength was to do the will of him who sent him and to finish his work. The beginning of that work was to seek and save that which was lost like the Samaritan woman at the well. And the end of that work was at the cross. On Easter, we focus on the cross and the empty tomb because it shows you a different way to live, to die to oneself in order to be risen again in the glory of God. The cross and the empty tomb calls us to put aside our own selfish ambition for the sake and the needs of the kingdom. The cross and the empty tomb leads us to put God back on the throne of our hearts and let him rule and reign in all parts of our lives. And the best part about it is it doesn't require some work or some great act on your part because Jesus has done all the work for you. He has done all of that heavy lifting. I don't know, is anybody here ever going to bookstores anymore? I don't know, if you ever go to a bookstore in a mall, Tammy and I almost always go in there when we go to a mall. I notice that one of the biggest sections in the nonfiction area is the self-help section. Some of the most popular books of the last 10 years. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How to Stop Worrying and How to Start Living. The Magic of Thinking Big. The 48 Laws of Power. Here's one that's fairly famous. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Anybody ever heard of that one? It's actually not a bad book. Or The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. And all these books want to give you some sort of recipe or some sort of exerciser or change the way that you think to improve your motivation, improve your outlook or your effectiveness in life. They all say, do what I tell you to do and this incredible result will happen. That's what religion, apart from Jesus, also says. If you do this then God has to do that. Religion says do, but Jesus says done. I have done it. One of the last things Jesus said on the cross was, it is finished. And no greater statement has ever been made because as he uttered these words, 
the curtain and the temple, that, that visual representation that separated the glory of God, the presence of God, the blessing of God from the rest of the people that represented the sin of the world. That curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It was like God reached down and tore this thing in half. A cloth so strong it was over four inches thick. They said if you were to put a team of horses on this side of it, a team of horses on that side of it, not even they could split that thing. It was so strong. Yet God went through it like a piece of parchment. Just tore that thing right in half. Jesus paid the price for our sin. That curtain was ripped. And Jesus said, it is finished. God reached down, he ripped it in half, and he showed us that we have access to God the Father as long as we are surrendered to Jesus Christ. It is no longer by the works of the law that we can be justified, but it is grace through faith is how you are saved. So I would ask you this morning, are you surrendered to him today? Or are you playing at religion? Is Jesus your sole source of passion, your sole source of strength, your sole source of hope? And I'm not talking about becoming more religious. Religion is your attempt to come to God on your terms. Jesus paid the way. Jesus is God coming to us on His terms. So I would beg you today, Jesus is the only way. Surrender to Him because it is the only name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for its power. I thank you for what Hebrews said, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. I thank Thank you for the word of God. And I ask, Lord, that the word does its work this morning. That it helps us to cut away those things that aren't pleasing to you. That it helps us to finally surrender to that point that has been hounding us and keeping us from growing in you for years. And finally, I ask, Lord, that if there are people here who have not made that surrender to Jesus, that you would enable them to do so right now. It's as easy as admitting that you are a sinner, you cannot save yourself, and that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is your Savior, and that you turn to him and live for him. It's that easy.